There's an old story um, about uh, three people who died on the same day and went to the pearly gates. And they encountered Peter, of course, because he apparently is always guarding the pearly gates. One of them was sort of a mystic. Um, another was an evangelical. And the last one was a fundamentalist preacher. So when uh, they met Peter, Peter said, well, I need to check your dogma, your doctrine, make sure you know, you're good to get in. So the first person um, went inside, and he, when he came back out, he, he came back, back out probably like 10 minutes later. He had just met Jesus and got, you know, scored on his doctrine. And he said, um, I had no idea that I, I had so many things right. The next one that went in was the evangelical, and... He, um, as people watched for him to come back out, he, he didn't come out for a while. And it was several hours before he came back out. And when he came back out, um, he said, I had no idea I got so many things wrong. And then the fundamentalist preacher went in, and not five or ten minutes, not five hours, um, probably five days later, he came back out and when they looked, they thought, that's not who went in. In fact, it was Jesus who came out. And he said, I had no idea I got so many things wrong. So, a little poke at fundamentalism. As we think about the reality of going back to church, or even the question about whether or not we should go back to church. And some of the things that we've already talked about today, what Susan talked to us about, what Sylvia talked to us about, are all in that particular category of discussion. Um, we probably need to ask ourselves the question, what do we need to unlearn that we used to do before, and what are new things that we need to learn that we have picked up um, as we've been away from one another, as we've been away from the community of church, and how are, how are we going to move forward. So I'm, I'm just taking little dives with you into some of Paul's writings and the things that he says. And thanks, Ian. This is in the letter he wrote to the Colossians. Now, the, the thing that, first of all, intrigued me about this is that he says that he wants to say some things to people who have not personally seen his face. And I was thinking, well, we've not personally seen one another's face for a long time, so what is it that he's saying you know, in that context? Paul is writing to Colossae, and um, as far as we understand, he never, ever went there. Um, he's concerned about a church called Laodicea, which is just a little while away from Colossae, but um, Colossae is in Asia and is way far away. If you think of the Mediterranean, and remember we saw Rome and we saw Philippi, and then you have to go way over and way down. And so Paul never actually get, <clears throat> gets to um, realize the hope that he had that he could spend time with these folks. And so he writes to them and says, even though you've not seen me face to face, even though I hope I will, here are the things that are on my heart to say to you. So here's what he says. 
for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. So Paul is worried about something concerning the Colossians, and it has been called the Colossian heresy. And Bible scholars for many years have tried to understand what the Colossian heresy really was. And it, it doesn't ever seem to be clearly explained. But later on in the letter that Paul writes to the Colossians, he says, I, I don't want people fooling you or deceiving you and telling you that the way you express your faith is by doing all these things. There's also a reference to worshiping angels and stuff like that. So when scholars have tried to mix and match what, what Paul does sort of disclose, they think that this Colossian heresy was some kind of a legalistic heresy um, that said, no, 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 you can't just do as you please, but you must do these things. And it seems as though there was an organized movement to try to, to catch fairly new followers of Christ and say, well, you have to do things the way we have always done them. And if you don't do things the way that we prescribe, um, we're going to excommunicate you. And so Paul is writing, and he's, he's, he's scared. He says, I know you've never seen me face to face, but I want you to know the thing that you need to know, which is not what you're being taught by these false teachers or by these heretics. He says, what I want you to learn is that there is something that really is a mystery. And probably these, these teachers had kind of a, a patter that said there's, there's a secret or there's a mystery that you need to, to discover. And Paul says, yes, there is a mystery, um, and I'm going to disclose that mystery to you in, in, in a, a small way. So as, as we think back to what I said the last couple of Sundays, we've talked about the fact last week that God is beyond understanding. He is incomprehensible. He is invisible. He is um, eternal. He's, he's the extreme and beyond of anything that we could think. And every time that we think that we are able to describe God, um, we probably need to make a note of that and then go back to the drawing board. Because when we figure that we've described God, then we've made an idol. Because the thing that we are describing is not God. It never can be. Because he is beyond anything that we can ever really understand or ever really describe. And so Paul says, but I, I do want you to know that that, that there's something that is at the heart of our faith that actually speaks to this realization that God is beyond, that God is other, that God is beyond what we can see, beyond what we can think, beyond what we can experience. God is beyond our dimensions, and all of that would, would cause us to sort of, to properly be in awe of that God, but Paul says, the mystery that you need to discover or rediscover 
is what I'm going to say to you here. So let me just highlight what he says that he wants them to discover. He says, I want you to have this, and he uses the language of religion and learning and philosophy and so on and says, um, I want this to result in a true knowledge of God's mystery. That is Christ himself. As I think about the way that we have experienced our Christianity over the last several decades, I think we have, um, we have brought God down to our level. Uh, we have brought God into our systems, and we have um, diminished God in, in our minds, in our hearts, and in our souls. Um, I think we have made Jesus more and more human for us, so the whole thing is much more kind of palatable because God is, well, he's, he's just nice. And Jesus was just a really good guy. And so we can all agree on those things, right? So we can talk about those things. And the Bible would say, well, no, no, because God is both transcendent and imminent. Transcendent because he is other than us, and we can never grasp that. But he is also imminent, and it's God who is imminent. So the God who is beyond us, beyond our understanding, beyond our experience, is actually very close to us, and it's God that's close to us. Um, remember there's that one, I think, a Max Lucado thing where he, he says, can you imagine Mary, and you want to say to Mary, that's God eating your soup, which is a bit of a stretch when you think, Oh, yeah, Jesus was actually God. That's the mystery. That's the thing that, that Paul wants them to grasp. Instead of all of the teachings around a formal religion and um, the lists of things that you're supposed to do and the list of things that you're not allowed to do, Paul says, what I want you to, to grasp is the true knowledge of God's mystery. That is Christ himself. And then here's what he says. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So in Christ, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So these heretics, whoever they are, whatever they're teaching, are trying to lead you down a garden path um, towards what they call wisdom and knowledge. But he says, no, what I'm alarmed about is that you have forgotten or you haven't discovered that those pursuits are properly aimed at Christ himself, at the person of Jesus. The wisdom and knowledge as a treasure is hidden in Christ. So to discover Christ and to be in a relationship with Christ will be to have, um, if you like, sort of found the gold at the end of the, of the rainbow, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Don't go searching after all kinds of other things. Now, in, in our day, um, thinking is scattered beyond belief, really. Um, what, what we call postmodernism or postmodernity is a time in which we have sort of deconstructed everything, and there are all kinds of ideas, all kinds of ways out there, all kinds of teachers, um, all kinds of theories, and we have a sort of a, a comfort in just saying, let's listen to all the theories, let's listen to all the ideas, let's listen to all the, 
the suggestions, and you will know, we'll sort of pick and choose from among them and decide where we're going to go and what we're, what we're going to believe and how we're going to live our lives. And Paul says, well, gather that scattered thinking into the true source of wisdom and knowledge. Bring all of your thinking to, to this home spot of the mystery that God has disclosed to us, which is Christ. Um, the incarnation of Christ is the most astonishing reality in, in the history of humankind. The idea that the God, who is, who is not just a God or a pretty important God, the God who is other, who is beyond us, the God who was before us, will be after us, the, that God has actually come and become a human being. And we know that theologically. We could all describe that, that that's what we believe. But, but Paul says it's still a mystery. And some writers are, are helping us understand that um, the more you get to know God by the revelation that God has given you, the more you see that mystery is actually sewn into his revelation that the life of Christ um, is an example of, of the fact that, that he says some things very clearly, and even as he says them clearly, they are not clear. Um, we often mock the disciples because they seem to be slow learners, and they were slow learners because Jesus was a confusing teacher, and that's by design because, um, once again, if we could kind of get Jesus, you know, kind of described chapter and verse, um, we would not really have come to understand who he was and what he was and who he is and what he is. That there is an ever-opening vista. The more that we get to know him, the more that we're drawn to know him, the more we're confused about, we know, about what we know about him, and the more we sort of stretch forward to know him better. So Paul says, here's the mystery, here's the thing that, that you, you need to settle your life on, settle your minds on, settle your hearts on. Um, it is the knowledge of Christ himself. And as I think about what that means and, and, and try to um, understand how I position myself with reference to, to Paul saying that Christ's Christ is the mystery that we're, we're longing to, to, to discover. Um, I think very simply, the most profound word that we can use or the most descriptive word that we can use is love. Um, God is love. And Christ is the ultimate expression of God's love. And God's love is the grandest pursuit of our understanding and our experience. The fact that the God who is other than us, the fact that the God of creation loves us is astonishing. When this morning, if you watch the sunrise and you think, but the God who made the sunrise loves me. He loves you. And the God who is, we know, other than us, the God who is transcendent, who is beyond us, has come to be among us to tell us this one thing, that he dearly, dearly, dearly loves us. 
Now, we can imagine um, the possible character of the one who is responsible for everything that exists. We, we could say there probably is a God. There probably is somebody who started all of this. There's somebody who created all of this. But he doesn't necessarily, by definition, have to be loving. He could be a taskmaster who says, now that I've made you, here's what I made you for. I made you to do these things. He could in theory, be malevolent. He could be someone who wants to abuse us, to hurt us. Um, and all of those things would be well within the rights of a creator, someone other than us who's responsible for our existence and um, whose existence we need to serve. He could be anything. And yet God is love. As, as I said, the only time the Bible says anything about God in that substantive kind of a way, along with his being light, is to say that God is love. And love is, as we read through the New Testament and, and try to apply its teachings to us, page after page after page, the pursuit of love is what we're called to. We're not called to the pursuit of truth, although that's a, a good pursuit. But the thing that God is looking for in us is the way in which we will reflect him by being the kinds of beings that are properly in his image as a God who is love. God loves us, and he encourages us to love one another. So that's what Paul says. Look, I, I'm, I'm hoping that your hearts will be encouraged, that you will have been knit together in love. And no matter what anyone is saying to you or teaching you, I hope that you're discovering that the dynamic of this Christian faith is the dynamic of love. And if you want to get to the core of the Christian faith, I will take you to the mystery that is at the center of the Christian faith, which is Christ, in whom is all wisdom and knowledge. There's a great treasury of wisdom and knowledge all found in Christ. Love. When we think about the state of the church and the state of our countries, um, we would all have to say that, you know, in, in Beatles terms, what the world needs now is love. I mean, and when we think about religion, the thing that very often has been most absent, most lacking in religion is love. Um, there is often the absence of love amongst believers who are disagreeing sort of doctrinally. And more and more, we're sort of shrinking and camping ourselves here and there and the next place. And we're saying, well, um, if you don't agree with me, just like these people were saying to the Colossians, if you don't agree with me and follow my way, we'll just have to be apart. And... Um, we we somehow ex exclude ourselves when when um, we we hear the message that love is incumbent upon the followers of Christ. So truth dominates love. At least my version of truth um, is more important than loving. And perhaps we need to go backwards and say more important than being right is to be loving, and love 
is truth. Love is the currency of our faith. Love is the way that we are bound together. Um, I saw love yesterday in, in, a, in a tremendous way as I, I married a couple. I married lots of people, but this couple, um, they brought their wedding forward by a year um, because he has been diagnosed with stage four kidney cancer. And their wedding ceremony was the most beautiful expression of love. They did not want the words, till death do us part, included in the, in the vows. But they did make their vows um, so that they say in sickness and in health. And when, you, when I looked at them, I thought that there's, there's, this is what love is. It's not, it's not romance. It's not, um, you know, it, it was just a pure sense of we are so in love with each other that no matter what happens, we want that to be stated. We want that to be marked on this day um, be, because we love one another. God loves us. We're invited to love one another. We're invited to keep on peeling back the layers of our understanding of the Lord Jesus and follow the Lord Jesus as, as closely as we can um, with the volume of love being increased more and more and more. Now, if I were to ask, what is the mark of the Christian faith? We would all say, well, the mark of Christianity is, is love. Um, the Apostle John wrote three letters um, along with his great treatise on the life of Christ. And the theme is simply love. God is love. And if anyone knows God, he is a person who loves. If you don't love, you don't know God. If you do love, you do know God. And so John is, is exalting this and saying, um, all the other things aside, bottom line is, since God is love and you are called to follow him, if you know him, you will know love. And if you don't know love, that simply implies that you don't know God. So a middle, in the midst of all of our sort of struggling and wobbling and wondering, um, we need to kind of take a breath and say, well, more than anything, we need to love to be followers of God. The, the wisdom and knowledge that is all tied up in the mystery of Christ is love. Love was the thing that was demonstrated by the coming of Christ, by the life of Christ, by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Love is to be the standard. Do, do we love as we should? Um, Annameth and I listen sporadically to country music and classical music. So depends who gets in the car first. And there's a song. I can't believe I'm going to quote a country song. But there's a country song, and the line in it that, that just gets my attention is this. I may not know what love is, but I sure know what it ain't. If we wonder sometimes, are we loving people? Are we um, loving as well as we should? Maybe let's come in the back door and say, I'm not always sure what love is, but I sure know what it ain't. I know what it ain't in my life. I think I know what it ain't when I see 
the way that some other people behave and relate. Um, and so suppose I started this week and said, okay, I'm not going to think about how to actively love in a positive sense, but I, let me see if I can just identify in my life where love ain't. And when I say love ain't there, then I need to ask, well, what am I going to do about that? Am I, am I going to purge myself of whatever that is, be it a thought, be it a behavior? Um, I may not know what love is, but I know what it ain't. And when I know what it ain't, I'm responsible to do something about it being in my life, something that has shown that that's not a loving way to be. I want to read you a, an interesting quote. It, it, it's kind of complicated. Uh, the guy's name is Todd Boulden. He's from Pepperdine University. And as he um, tries to, to kind of understand the way the church is and Christianity is and faith is in, in the recent past, um, he says this, I suggest that Christians in, in America in the 21st century should consider whether they have attempted to position Christianity as one of the principalities and powers rather than as a vulnerable servant of the powerless. Frustrated with their inability to influence culture through conversion or transformation, Christians since Constantine have turned to powers and principalities of this world, its militaries, its superpowers, its multinational corporations, its media and entertainment, and its political institutions to embody and enforce their truth. Christians themselves may even seek the highest places of influence in politics, entertainment, and business, and rejoice when one of ours succeeds in these spheres. It's an interesting pitch. Um, he would say that when Paul, in his letters, talks about the principalities and powers, that we all tend to think of, well, what are, those are demonic forces or those are some kind of um, powers spiritually out there. And he says that they are um, descriptions of the world in, in its forms institutionally and methodologically. So rather than being things that are just kind of spooky out there, he says they are the tendency to revert to the way the world does things, the value that the world places on things. And so he says, rather than that, we need to be called back to the way of Jesus, which we would understand to be the way of love. And it is the way of serving the helpless. So he critiques you know, American evangelicalism and says that's exactly what has happened. We have reverted to the, the world's values and the world's sorting systems rather than going carefully to the example of Christ. And he says, to learn actually what love means. I may not know what love means, but I sure know what it don't. And when we look at ourselves and look at um, evangelicalism, look at the world, the society in which we lived, uh, which we live, we, we probably can list um, the way that love ain't in our thinking and our behaving.
I think I want to just stop there and and pray um, because it's it can be very elusive to us um, to say, okay, we're supposed to love one another. And I think the apostle would jump up and down and say, yes, 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 yes. You must love. You must eke out the ways of your flesh that don't love. You must turn against any inclination um, f for the hatred, the bitterness, the rage, the things that can lodge in your heart. Um, the mystery, the mystery of the incarnation, the mystery of the joining of the transcendent with the imminent is the mystery of the love of Christ. Why does God love the world? I mean, we quickly in John 3.16 get to the point of getting saved. But the way it all starts is God so loved the world. Um, if, if that's the story and the start of the story of God's relationship with us, how can we so quickly sort of bypass that and say, yeah, it would be good to be loving, but I can't, or here's the reason I don't love that person, here's the reason that that person is wrong and I'm right. How, how can we excuse ourselves when God wants to say, no, 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 I am other and imminent. I am close. I am holy and I am love. And my son is a demonstration of my love. Um, so stop there and assess yourselves there rather than either going off on some sort of new philosophical direction or new teaching as far as the Colossians were concerned and say all that you need to know about the whole meaning of the universe and life is in this touch point between God and man which is Christ that in him is this treasure this mystery, this secret that God has has whispered to us um, that he loves us and all that he has done is because of his love for us. So why don't we pray? Father, help us to, to just stop and grapple with the notion of love. Help us to be called by your spirit into a, into a demeanor that adores you because of your love. Um, into an assessment of, of history and our lives and our lands in which the love of God um, is the lost treasure. Father, help us to, um, to grieve the absence of love in our lives, in our families, in our societies. Help us to understand that the way that even the church has sorted itself out has been more according to, to um, the pursuit of power and importance and prestige. And yet the mystery of love, the mystery of, of Christ, was the, the mystery of a servant who served humanity, 
um, who came to to serve, to serve us. Father, help us to quickly get to the list um, that says love ain't those things that it ain't in our lives, in our communities. And help us day by day to say, today I want to be a more loving person. I must be a more loving person. I'm called to be a more loving person um, because first and foremost, um, the shocking truth is that the God who is other than us, who is beyond us, is love. Father, I pray that the word will not be so easily uh, used um, or, or so easily just spoken and forgotten. But I pray, Father, that we will see that the pages of Scripture are the pages of love and that we are called um, into love. Um, Father, in these days of... of um, discontent, the, these days of worry, these days when we're even at odds with one another as we try to recover through this pandemic. Um, help us to love one another. The church now is, is um, in, in, a, in a grand state of, of division over those that are thinking that the state is overreaching and those that are thinking that it's a matter of health. And, um, and, and here we are at a standoff. In that, Father, we pray that you will bring us together in love. Um, and in our individual lives, as, as we uh, live through anxiety and um, are, are often just irritable with one another. There, Father, we pray that we would just say, well, that ain't love. And help us to find love and loving ways because of who you are and because, well, there's the mystery. There's the thing that should be pursued in life. It's, it's Christ who is love and who is the demonstration of your love. So teach us, Father, we pray. And... Be pleased by our attempts um, to stretch towards uh, the character and the behaviors that reflect your love in us and for us. Thank you that you are our, our Father, our Abba, and our Abba loves us very deeply. In Jesus' name we pray.